businesses rely on lead flow, like sales and marketing slash lead gen. It's the two things that are lifeblood in a business. Like you could be the best closer in the world, but if you don't have any deals coming in, you don't have any calls coming in, so you're not going to close anything. Welcome to another episode of Hyperior Presents. In this episode, I talked to Shaw, aka Shawpreneur. Shaw studied engineering, but didn't want to get a career doing that. So what do you do when you completely overhaul your life? You started doing black hat stuff on eBay. The margins were thin, but with 40 simultaneous PayPal accounts, Shaw could sell a shit ton of products. Just before the eBay police was going to crack down on him, he started an agency because he wanted to learn marketing and sales. In this episode, you'll learn how to set up your own Facebook ad agency with a step-by-step guide. You'll also hear about great insights how to book appointments and get people on the phone. My name is Unique, co-founder of Hype Fury, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Oh, and by the way, if you're on iTunes, click on subscribe, and on Spotify, click the follow button. Hey, Shaw, welcome. For people who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, my name's uh, Shaw. I'm from uh, Northern Ireland. I run a few different businesses. I have a Facebook ads agency on one side. I have uh, a B2B outreach agency on the other side. I own um, a small SaaS and then also uh, have my Twitter account, which is probably where most people know me from in this small little space that we have. <laughs> I doubt anybody from outside of Twitter has ever heard of me. But Cool. And, and before you jumped into like your agency stuff, what did you do? Well, before I was doing like all, uh, running my agencies, I was actually in the e-com space. I was doing uh, this thing that was called eBay dropshipping. And that's what I was actually doing for quite a few years. And eventually it became kind of the way I was doing it. The method was kind of black hat. So it eventually became like obsolete, got patched up. So I had to move into something else. But by trade, if that's what you mean, like what am I educated as, I guess? I was educated as like an engineer. So I have an engineering degree. And I worked in that field for a little while, but ultimately at the end of the day, it's not what I enjoyed to do. So I sort I moved into uh, sort of a full-time like entrepreneurship. Cool. But you do need to tell me a little bit more about the black hat stuff. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. I'll tell you. So we were drop shipping on eBay and eBay, like if you ever just like look at eBay's UI, it's extremely like outdated, especially like even like, you know, two years ago, like their UI just looked very outdated. If you told someone about eBay, they'd be like, oh, my grandmother buys whatever for, or sells whatever on eBay. So everyone has like this really warped perception of eBay. But even though like it wasn't just their UI that was outdated, it had all these like little holes everywhere else. And basically what it allowed me to do was to create what are called stealth accounts. And back then I was able to create about 40. So four zero, 40 stealth accounts. And we were able to load up those each store with thousands and thousands and thousands of products. I mean, if you bought anything off eBay, whenever I was doing this, if you had bought anything off eBay, you very likely might have bought it off one of my stores because we were covering like every category on eBay, all the best sellers. We had all the best sellers on eBay going. And yeah, we just had all these stores lined up. So yeah, the black hat method was that you would have stealth eBay accounts, stealth PayPal accounts all hooked up and they would all without getting into too much detail and making it all complicated, they would all funnel to one master PayPal account. So like the, the stuff PayPal accounts were uh, like dummy accounts basically to like trick eBay into thinking that they were like separate. But then there's a way to funnel all of the money from eBay into one single PayPal account. 
And uh, yeah, but eventually like they patched that up and they're, they've actually moved away from PayPal. So you have to use like social security numbers for your PayPal accounts. And yeah, yeah obviously you can't get 40 of those. So the method became like obsolete. There's a cool story, by the way, about probably also why it's the UI is still pretty shit on eBay. Yeah. Years back, they had like a yellow background color. Mm. And they changed it abruptly to white. Mm. And like their entire like user base went into riot because, you know, the website didn't look the same again. So they actually reverted back the color, back to yellow, their background color. And then what they did was they, they slowly, very slowly changed like the gradient. So they would just slowly go from yellow to light yellow to white but like over the months and nobody saw that and, and everybody was cool about that and i guess that's why they're also probably a bit scared about making a lot of ui changes because like they're hardcore sellers you know they're just used to yep. the interface they've been using for years and they probably don't want to scare them off that's hilarious i'm kind of curious like what current sellers think about the transition from paypal over to like the managed payment side. Like I know some people are so happy about it because like PayPal is the worst like payment processor. If you're listening to this and you're using PayPal for any of like your businesses, I highly recommend don't using it. Like myself personally and like some other friends I know have had like thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of dollars just like held by PayPal, like at the drop of a hat. Like you'll wake up in the morning, you look at your phone, you'll have like an email from PayPal that's like, hey, your account is suspended. We've held all the money inside and you can't get it for six months. You're like, right, f Like whenever it happened to me, it was only a few thousand, so not that bad. But I know one guy that had a hundred grand held by PayPal. Oops. Yeah, he just he just kept it in there. I'm like, you're a dickhead. You should have took that money out. But yeah, but I still wouldn't mess with PayPal either way. Pretty shit. That's pretty shit. I actually tweeted about this like last week saying like, PayPal's business model is locking people's account and then keeping them their money for themselves. It got about a couple of hundred retweets. Actually, a lot of people have had this. So yeah, I completely agree. Don't use PayPal. If funny thing is they were like the cowboys like a decade ago, and now you know they just they're so strict. And I don't know what triggers it, but just a lot of people have seen their accounts closed. Yeah, yeah. I honestly think if they want to continue like as a like an e-commerce you know, payment method, they have to rebrand. They have to come up with like a brand new product. I think they might have, I think it might have been called like X or something like that, but they need to rebrand because no one's going to use them. Like too many e-commerce people, like people in general have been like burnt by PayPal that I would never trust a business doing like tens of thousands of dollars in revenue a month. I would never trust that in PayPal because it can just get stuck. Same here. And so what kind of product did you sell? Because you were drop shipping. You weren't like, I don't know, like maybe somebody was selling, I don't know, like a notebook for five bucks and you were selling that same notebook for six or seven bucks. It was not like that. You just had. Yeah. So it's not like the kind of drop shipping that people think, right? Like when you say drop shipping, people think like, oh, Alibaba, AliExpress, you know, put it on a Facebook ad and then you sell it. You like rebrand it. It's a lot more like primitive than that. <laughs> and that's also one of the other reasons that I wanted to move businesses but you basically, and I swear like this is all it is, you ha you get a software to integrate into eBay's API. It tells you which items are selling. 
like different combinations. Like, are they the best seller? Are they selling a lot recently? Blah, blah, blah. And you just... And this is for specific products? The random products. Like literally, it doesn't like matter what the product is. Like I wouldn't care if it was toilet paper or like sunglasses. Like it doesn't matter. I would never... It's like it's like Jungle Scout, but then for eBay. Something like that. Yeah, but you do it at mass scale. And like I would never look at what the product is. I would only look at the fact that, hey, is it selling? Is it not? Like what is the software telling me if it's selling or not? And then you would just export that CSV, like literally thousands of items at a single go, export the CSV of the items that are matching your criteria and then upload it to eBay. You might know what like five of the products are, but you don't know what the rest of them are. You just know that they sell and you upload them. And um, what you do is you drop ship them from other retailers online to eBay. So from Amazon to eBay, Walmart to eBay, like Home Depot to eBay, et cetera, uh, you would have a software hooked up that is connected to the a well i don't think if there's an api of the stores but connected to the stores that whenever the product would sell on your store it would automatically order it from the website of the other retailer type in your customer's address and ship it to them directly that's how it would work but yeah like i didn't care about like what was selling like i only knew what my best sellers were because like they float the top and you notice oh i've sold like a thousand you know toilet papers and you know like whenever <laughs> oh my gosh it was just like the funniest stuff would just become like your best seller like overnight it was the weirdest thing and how would you decide on pricing then like oh there's a whole like system in the software that would like automatically adjust the pricing based on so you would want to stay competitive obviously like and it would adjust your pricing based on like the other products that were selling in the same cat like if you typed in toilet paper and there was five of the same toilet papers and like one was selling more than the other and it was like a certain price. The software would automatically price you closer to that. But then like whenever you build up like your profile, like you're getting like hundreds of like positive reviews and like, you know, you've been with eBay for a long time. They bump you to the top of like the, the, the rankings. And so like even if your price was more expensive than the others, because you have like thousands and thousands of, you know, positive reviews, like people will buy from you more than others because they don't want to be like scammed by someone on eBay. So pricing doesn't matter so much when you build up your profiles, but yeah, like the software would automatically reprice your items for you. Hmm, interesting. And what's the name of the software? Oh, there's a bunch. There's one called sale freaks. There's one called auto DS. There's one called uh, Yabal, which is Y A B A L L E. And then there was one more, which Oh yeah, there's a really basic one that's called Scoo Grid. It doesn't automatically order the items, but it reprices them. And it's like much more primitive than the others. But yeah, those are the four that I used Sale Freaks and AutoDS the most though, because they were like the most complete software. Interesting. And this probably still works, except, you know, you can't hook up 40 accounts to it. It's just probably one or maybe two from your... <laughs> yeah, like the same strategy works. Yeah, like I even still have courses like on ebay that that exists that if someone wanted to buy them they could I, I don't promote them anymore but like the same strategies and those like they still apply today it's just that instead of paypal you just use managed payments you know on ebay and yeah you couldn't exactly you couldn't hook up 40 accounts unless you had 40 friends willing to let you use their ssn which i doubt you could find that but maybe maybe there's still, like i'm not really in the space too much anymore so maybe there is like some method around it somebody listened to this is maybe into the space and they know of a way to do it i haven't really been going through the forums or anything to figure out a way 
Hmm. And why did you quit eBay? Because you were making good money? Was it getting too hot beneath your feet? or? Because the method I was using, it was going to become obsolete. Like eBay and PayPal announced like a year in advance or something like that, or two years in advance. What was it? It was like, yeah, there was like a rumor that eBay was going to move away from PayPal. And they had already started to crack down on like the stealth account stuff. And so like you would lose accounts every now and then because eBay would do like a big ban sweep and somehow they would figure out you had a stealth. So you would gradually start losing accounts here and there. But then there was a rumor that eBay was going to start moving away from PayPal. And then I knew once they moved away from PayPal, all these accounts would not exist. And so I was just proactive and I was like, right, I'm going to start building other businesses that are actually, that actually have skills. Cause like eBay dropshipping, dude, like there are no skills involved. You don't learn sales. You don't learn copywriting. You don't learn, you know, building, you know, like a software, you don't learn branding. You don't learn any of like the stuff that's actually like valuable in like the marketplace. You're just like <laughs> relisting items from one place to another and making money. Like it's an easy way to make money, but you don't you know, learn anything. So I was like, right, let me do something that's actually going to teach me like a skill. And so I moved into sort of like the client business side of things built up from a small, I guess when you begin and you only have like one or two clients, you're like, you could call yourself a freelancer, but once you build up you know, a team and you have a, a solid base of clients, then you can sort of call yourself an agency. And so I wanted to learn how to sell things on the phone. I wanted to learn how to deal with clients. I wanted to learn how to like deliver a service that actually like produces like an ROI for a client. And like yeah. those skills are now with me forever because I've learned them. And now, even if like my business collapsed tomorrow, which it wouldn't, I would still have those skills inside me to restart on something new. And so did you like do a hard transition from eBay or did you keep a couple of accounts while you were building your agency? Yeah, it was gradual for a while. And then and then one day I was like, you know what, I'm making good money from the agency. Like it's inevitable that these accounts are going to just disappear anyway. So yeah, I just turned them off. Like one day I was like, F- that, I'm just going to turn it off. Cool. And just uh Final question, what kind of money do people make? What were you making? Or what's like if you get like tens of thousands of products online or like a thousand products that margins are pretty slim probably, but you know, the volume might might make up for that. Yeah, I mean, you can do millions of dollars in revenue a year, but yeah, the margins are like e-commerce margins in general, like they're not as good as what people think unless you know exactly what you're doing. E-commerce margins, dropshipping margins are not fantastic. So you can do millions of dollars a year in revenue and make... A good six figures profit for yourself but again it's like deceiving so i'd never actually flexed if you want to call it a flex i never flexed the screenshots that i had from ebay because i felt like it was kind of deceiving if i did do that because it's like somebody's gonna think i'm doing millions of dollars a year when you know the profit margins are not in comparison to that so yeah yeah you can make a good amount of money cool and so why did you decide to start an agency? Was that because you wanted to learn like marketing and sales and stuff like that? Exactly. Yeah. Like I, I wanted to learn the thing that initially attracted me was like, I wanted to learn how to sell on the phone. And like, that's something that still like amazes me to this day that you can get on the phone with a stranger and you can say things in the right way that make them give you thousands of dollars. Like it's still like when you break it down to like its most basic <laughs> principles, it's like, Wow, that's pretty amazing. It's like magic almost, you know? <laughs> so yeah, I wanted to learn how to sell on the phone. I wanted to learn how to deliver a service. And again, I just have like an entrepreneurial mind. So from the beginning, I was always thinking, 
what's like a simple service that I could deliver that I could, you know, make a team around and, and actually deliver, like build this up to a point where I could deliver it. I don't want to say like on autopilot, but have other people deliver the work for me. And I just act as like a, you know, a managing role or like a, in a strategy position. And so yeah. that's kind of what attracted me to it in the first place. Interesting. What kind of agency did you start? Yeah, I started like a Facebook ad agency for like um, like boomer niches, like boomer businesses that didn't know how to do online advertising. What are boomer businesses? Like trucking and landscaping and accounting and finance and like, you know. <laughs> boomer business. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, like boomer businesses that like, yeah, they just don't understand like marketing or digital marketing in general. Like, because you can get on, like, if you can find a group of people that they have like, a fairly high ticket service they need customers they need like lead flow but they know they should be doing marketing but they have no idea how to do this online marketing stuff and covid was actually a perfect opportunity for someone to get into this kind of thing because demand was huge yeah the demand was huge because like these businesses they couldn't anymore like go out and promote or like meet people in their offices or whatever so they needed ways of actually closing deals online and again like they're boomers they don't know how to work zoom they don't know how to set up ads that actually get qualified people onto their zoom calls and so like if you come in there as like a young guy and just by the virtue of you being like young they kind of trust you <laughs> they just they think this isn't a, a facebook expert he knows his stuff. they just trust you like and of course like you should never sell something if you don't know how to deliver but you know at the end of the day it's like they really don't know anything. So if you're just coming in there, a young guy, you know how to do Facebook ads. They're not going to question it. They're like, all right, you show them like what you're doing. It's like, here, here's some results I've got. Here's what we're going to do. Then it's like, right, well, it works. I don't understand how the f this stuff works, but you clearly do. You're a young guy. This is like the young person's territory. So let's do it. And that's kind of like the beauty about boomer businesses. They have money, but, and they know they need to do online stuff, but they don't really know how to do it they don't want to figure it out either how did you get your first client how did that go i think it was cold calling yeah it was cold calling if you have clients that are in like local businesses there's this one networking app it's like similar to linkedin but a little bit different it's called alignable a-l-i-g-n-a-b-l-e go on that and you can like connect with like local businesses and they have like their phone numbers and stuff available so i would literally just connect again it was like another black hat way of like connecting with people i don't know if it still works but you basically like scrape like thousands of emails of like your certain kind of person you want to target you would upload them to your google calendar and then you would sync your google calendar with alignable and it would import it would automatically send thousands of connections to those people when they in reality they only let you connect with like a handful of people a day and so i ended up getting connected with hundreds and hundreds of people and so i would just systematically go through each person like cold call them and yeah from the cold call i'd get them on a discovery call from the discovery call moved into a sales call and then i close them from the sales call how did you find out about this hack some guy just told me about it i was like i was just like talking to different people in like the space and he's like yeah i'm doing this and i was like oh, okay cool show me how to do it <laughs> and he showed me it's interesting there's also like a google doc hack you can do you can just like literally like if you do an ad and then like type names in a document and if that app matches your username on google doc it'll actually send you a notification that you've been mentioned in some person's 
Google Doc. This is like a new way to send spam and Google sends it on their behalf. Really? So if I wanted to get your attention, Yannick, I would just need to figure out what your Google is and then I could make like a whole pitch like inside a Google Doc and try and get your attention that way. That would be hilarious. Yeah, yeah. I think it's based on my email address, actually. I think if you just get my email address somewhere and just then mention it in the Google Doc, then Google will send me a notification saying, hey, you got mentioned in this document. That's hilarious. <laughs> okay, cool. And so you literally spoke to hundreds of people? Probably cold call hundreds of people, yeah. Like, it's not that effective. And I didn't even know, like the effective ways to cold call like you can get these things they're called power dialers where like you just feed it a list of like phone numbers and um it will automatically it will dial for you so like i was literally bro i had like a my laptop screen i was like i had the website on one side of the screen the, the skype on the other side and i was just like going through the profile clicking it clicking it finding the number copying pasting it over to skype it took ages but yeah that's just what you do in the beginning when you don't know what you're doing that's funny. And you had like, yeah, no social proof, no prior Facebook clients, or how did you convince people to do this? I think I had like a card site, like a shitty card site. And how did I convince people? I don't know. I just studied like sales. I, I made a, a big mistake in the beginning by not like offering like free work. I was too stuck because I was already making money like off eBay. So I, I didn't feel like a beginner, like in my mind. Obviously, I was a beginner in this world. But like I was already making cash. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to work for free. That was like my attitude. Looking back, I should have worked for free to build up some case studies because it would have made the process a whole lot faster. But hey, like you live and you learn. And I've, I've built a, an agency that makes good money. So I'm not too worried about it. I think it was a bit of um, a, it was a learning experience and it builds character too. Whenever you need to get your first client, like by cold calling, it's like it builds like legit character. Yeah. Okay, so you got your first client, then what happened? Because you've transitioned away from like Facebook advertising. How long did you do that? And why did you transition away from that? Oh, I'm still running the Facebook ads. You're still doing yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, okay. And that's like your agency part. And then you have Linkfire, which is more like, like get people leads. Yeah, so Linkfire is um, like so many people, literally the biggest question for my course is which software should I use? Like that was the biggest question for the longest time. Like people would just DM me what software, what software, what software. I'm like, right, well, I'm going to put out my own. And so I partnered up with SAS Capo, who's more knowledgeable in the SAS world than I am, all the technical stuff. So we partnered up on that and uh, we released it. But yeah, the software is different from like the, the B2B outreach like service. And I was doing like B2B outreach for myself for like the longest time. And I got really, really good at it. And like one day I just like looked at my calendar. I was like, I've got myself like, like tons of appointments. And I was like, oh, well, I could just do this for other people as like an agency. And so <laughs> I started offering that and leveraging Twitter for it because I only ever really use Twitter to like sell the course like passively with like the link in the bio and sort of just put out tweets and sort of like network, I guess, if you want to call it that. But I just decided that, you know, why not leverage my Twitter's like social proof and reputation to actually like build an agency. So I started doing that because I saw how many appointments I was booking for like myself, for my own, my Facebook agency. And I was like, right, I could just offer this as a service. And, you know, you just slide in a couple of DMs, you set up a call and, you know, because people somewhat maybe know already who you are and you're associated with some good people in there. You also have social proof and they vouch for you, then it's an easy world to get clients. And like, if you look at 
like the best example of this, in my opinion, is SEO Kevil. I'm sure you know who he is, but he's built, I'm not going to tell you his revenue level. I'm sure he'd like to keep it private, but he's making a significant amount of money doing SEO and he's, he's leveraged Twitter to build that client base. Like because of the social proof, he can post his results. He gets amazing results for his clients. So he gets good referrals because his profile is branded. Look, I help you with SEO for e-commerce. Here's a link to book a call. He just gets passive deal flow and people come to him. They know who he is. And so he has the social proof and it's just, you know, building an agency when you have an existing audience is all, it's much easier than starting from scratch. That's a very good one. And so, you start calling a couple hundred people with no testimonials, no like proof of work. And then, you know, fast forward probably about 12 months and your entire calendar is booked. What changed and what are you now doing and saying that gets you so many appointments? Yeah. So eventually, like I kind of just learned about the first really, really good way of booking appointments that I discovered was just by doing LinkedIn. It was the first thing that I learned how to do in terms of like, lead generation automations and things like that. So I was automating my LinkedIn, connecting with people, sending them messages. And this was back when you could send 100 connections a day. Now they limit it to 100 a week. So sending like 100 connections a day, just booking calls left, right, and center. And LinkedIn even gives you the phone, the phone numbers of the people. So I would connect with someone, have a short conversation, then I just call them up and get an appointment booked that way. What did you say in those connection messages? Back then, it would just be super simple because not many people were were using this as like an outreach method. So it would just be like, hey, John, here's what I can do for you. Here's what I do. I help X niche get this result. Like, would you be open to a chat about that? Would you like to have a call about that? Like, honestly, something as simple and as direct as that worked like a charm. Now, depending on the niche, you need to be a little bit more creative. But yeah, something as straightforward and simple as that worked like a charm. And then from there, I... And now, because you, you mentioned you have to be a little bit more creative now. So what changed? Depending on the niche. So if you have like a... Because more people know about these strategies. And so if you are the kind of person that just like... And this is like a lot of people. And the reason why I don't talk about my Facebook agency is because the niche, I don't want it to get, you know, swarmed by like my followers. Like if I said, hey, I'm working with this niche then everyone's just going to try and do that. Oh, well, if Shaw is doing it, it must be working. Let me do it as well. And then they're going to be getting hundreds of messages overnight. So if anyone listening has an audience on Twitter and they have an agency with a specific niche, do not talk about it because you're just going to, you're just going to have tons of people flooding into it overnight. Have you experienced this? Personally, no, but I know other people who have. And so, yeah, like, so if you have one of those niches that there's tons of people in it, then everyone's being direct. They're getting a hundred messages a day, you know, then obviously stands to reason that you need to be, you need to stand out from the other people. And so to be creative, you can just do things like, like simply calling them again. Like so many people, when I would call them from LinkedIn, I would connect with them on LinkedIn and then I would literally just call them up. And so many people were like, you know what? I get a lot of messages, but no one's ever called me. So for that reason, I'm going to give you a sales call. I'm going to hear you out because you have the balls to give me a call. Another good way to do it is to send voice messages, video DMs, instant trust. They know that those cannot be automated to a degree. And then also like personalized images and personalized GIFs. Um, you can send those. And um, yeah, there's a bunch of different ways you can personalize. 
you can stand out. And how do you target people on LinkedIn? As in, you know, what are their job titles or, you know, don't talk about the niche, then talk about the different niche, but how would you target? Yeah, so let's say, for example, we wanted to target gardeners. Let's say like a landscaper. I look out the window, see my garden, and that's what I come up with. Gardeners. By the way, don't pick this niche just because I'm talking about it. <laughs> like so many, like even in my course, I'll give it like an example of a niche, and then everyone's like, "Oh, should I do that niche?" I'm like, "No." Like you don't understand. When I wrote the course, I just literally picked it out of thin air as an example. So I don't know if gardeners is a good niche or not. Do your own research. Anyway, you go on LinkedIn and you you pay for the tool. It's called Sales Navigator. What Sales Navigator is is LinkedIn's own tool, like their own tool that lets you filter through their users based on like all the filters you could possibly do. So like keywords, location, job title, you know, seniority in the company, like how long they've been with that company for, how many employees a company has, and like a bunch of other stuff. And so you just you type in the keywords, you input all your filters, you exclude a bunch of people because stands to reason about like some unqualified people will filter in so like you can exclude marketing so then you exclude people who are already doing marketing for gardeners you exclude people who are interns you can exclude the company or the the industry giants like you don't want to be outreaching like you know i have no idea what an industry giant is for gardening but you don't want to outreach those people because they have their marketing probably already taken care of and the level of marketing that they need Unless you are like a big agency yourself with a lot of capability, like you can't provide what they need. So you want to go for like the media, the small to medium players. But yeah, you just put in all your filters, you exclude unqualified people, and then it gives you a list of qualified leads. And so what you do is, is you simply just take the link, like the URL from the page on Sales Navigator, and you copy and paste that into a LinkedIn software. So if you want to use my software, which is Linkfire, linkfire.io, you just use that, you paste it into like a search function. It'll pull all of the data from those users into the software. And then you assign that data to a specific campaign and then you turn it on and it runs and it just automatically connects with those people, sends them a message. If they accept the message, then it'll automatically send them a follow-up message and et cetera, et cetera. And then you have someone, either yourself or someone else, manages the mailboxes so you, they could just like handle the conversations talk back and forth and then get people booked onto a call interesting and so you have to do like a little bit of research in in sales navigator and i guess there are different tools where you can get you know profile urls i guess and then it's like cold outreach but via linkedin and not via email yeah the best method is when you combine them that's when you have omni-channel. And, and you mentioned before that you want to channel a little bit about that, and I'm happy to do it. The best way to use LinkedIn. So recently, LinkedIn limited people's connection requests. So you can only send 100 per week per account. So you have two choices. You either open a bunch of LinkedIn accounts, which is possible. Like a lot of companies open fake LinkedIn accounts to have their sales team like leverage. Or you can use LinkedIn to retarget if you're cold emailing. You can retarget people who don't respond initially to your cold emails. You can retarget them with a LinkedIn connection request. So let's say we send someone three emails. They ignore two. They open one. Then once they open it, but they don't respond, then we can retarget them with a connection request and hit them on a new platform. And you can actually see that they opened the request? The request or the email. Okay. But you can see both. So if I would send a connection request to you on LinkedIn and you open the email, 
your software would see that the email was opened, but uh, the request wasn't accepted. So we back up a little bit because I was I was asking a question like, are you asking if you can see if the request, like the LinkedIn request, was opened or the email was opened? But so well, the request sent by, via LinkedIn. I don't think you can get that data. No, you can't. Like, yeah, because connection requests aren't really open. They're, you just see them side by side on a screen. You can see if someone opened your email. You know, like if you use a, a software like like Mailshake, like you can see how many people opened your email, but you can't see if someone like looked at your LinkedIn request. Well, you can see if they looked at your profile, which is effectively the same thing because whenever someone tries to connect with you, they look at your profile. And so yeah. you're going to see a bunch of people. When you have Sales Navigator, LinkedIn Premium, it tells you specifically who looked at your profile. And so you know that they've seen your connection request. And if you did a good job optimizing your profile, which is the first step to any like LinkedIn campaign, then they'll accept because they will have read your stuff. They would have looked at your content. They'll accept your LinkedIn request and then they'll respond to you positively. And you can automate this. So if you send like emails via you know any software, you get like an open and then Linkfire enables that they look at opens, but no connection requests and then send them or like retarget them on LinkedIn. Exactly. Yeah. So you use, obviously you use Zapier in the middle. So you connect Mailshake to Linkfire using webhooks. And then in the Zap, you can set up whatever your conditions were. So like Zapier has certain triggers and then Linkfire has a ton of different like webhook triggers that you can select from. And so like you can build a Zap based on like what you want the connection request to trigger, if that makes sense to trigger one. Yep. So like it could just be, yeah, I want it to, if this Mailshake campaign sends three emails and gets no reply, then I want it to be to send a, a LinkedIn request. Or you can set it up like, I want it to send three emails, but I only want the LinkedIn request to be sent if at least one was opened, you know, and looked at or something like that. You know, you can slice it in any way you want. But yeah, obviously Zapier in the middle is, it's what, you know, connects the two together. Cool. And this is like your system of how to get leads for other agency owners. Exactly. Yeah. And how does that business model work? How do how do people pay you? Do they pay you for I don't know ten leads per month or? It's pay per appointment. So like you know you'll I'll speak to someone and if because it's pay per appointment it's results based and so I want to make sure that someone has the actual capacity to make it worth our time. Like if they can only take three calls a week, you know it's like or three calls a month or whatever, it's like, okay, because it's pay per appointment, which varies depending on, you know, the niche. If they don't have the capacity to take on many calls, then it's not really worth our it's time. It's too much work and too much overhead. Yeah, it's, it's just not worth it. So if someone has a capacity to take like a good amount of calls a month, like, and most people are just like, yeah, I can take as many as you can send me, which is great. Other people are like, yeah, I can only take X amounts. And if it's a good enough amount, then we'll just cap it at that. But yeah, we... We get the call set up and then, yeah, then we invoice for the, the appointments at the end of the month. And what do you typically charge for, I don't know, a gardening lead or? <laughs> uh, well, we, we don't haven't worked with any gardeners or people who want to work with gardeners yet, but it would be like a couple hundred, few hundred bucks, depending on their deal size, depending on how easy or hard it is to find these people. If it's very difficult to get these calls, but the deal sizes are really big, then it's like, well, the appointment is going to cost you more because for those reasons, but yeah, it'll vary. Cool. And so I guess if somebody's a little bit, you know, handy with link fire, they could probably do the same thing. 
or, you know, the, I guess there's a pretty big market for people to get other people leads or calls. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always going to be a market, in my opinion, like businesses rely on lead flow, like sales and marketing slash lead gen. It's the two things that are lifeblood in a business. Like you could be the best closer in the world, but if you don't have any deals coming in, you don't have any calls coming in, so you're not going to close anything. Likewise, you could be the best marketer in the world, the best lead generator in the world, but if you can't close, you're not going to close anything. So it's like they work hand in hand. And so businesses are always going to need conversations with decision makers. Like it's, it, I don't think there's ever going to be one solution that comes out that just like automates that for someone or like handles it for them unless they learn how to do it internally. But, and then it just comes back to what everything else is in business where it's like a business owner simply just doesn't have the time to sit down for six months to 12 months to figure out the kinks, work out all the issues, teach their team how to do it and all this other stuff. They'd rather just pay someone who's already an expert at it and have it done from day one. And that's one of the keys to being a business owner is like you can't learn everything. You can get a basic understanding of everything each part of your business and you should because if you don't have a basic understanding then you don't know how well things are working or not right it's like if you're trying to build like an app uh, if you want to build a SaaS and you don't know anything about coding then all your contractors can just tell you whatever they want and you have no choice but to believe them because you don't know any different you know all your coders be like yeah this is coded perfectly and then you have one of your friends look over it and it's like yeah this is dog shit you know it's it's like that it's like that with anything but yeah, people just prefer to hire people who are already experts in the field so they can get it done right from day one. And I guess you have like three business models right now. So you have your own agency where you, you know, I guess help like the gardener get clients. You have the model where you get appointments for other people and you have like Lingfire, which is like more like a SaaS business. Yeah, that's right. Why did you choose to like go down like three paths at once as in, you know, doubling down on one of the three? Oh, well, I didn't do the three paths at once. You know, like I, I built the ads agency up first and then I built up like the Twitter account simultaneously. And then, you know, from the Twitter account, I put out a course which sells pretty passively. And from the course, people were like, yeah, I need a software. So we set up a software, which didn't take much of my time because I partnered with somebody who knew I'm not like a software guy. So I partnered with someone who does know that stuff. So I just handled the marketing. And so, yeah, and then it's not been long that I've been running the B2B outreach offer. So I haven't really done them all at the same time because that would not be productive, but it's like an ecosystem. Like you want each to feed into the other. So like the course feeds into the SaaS, which you know feeds into the B2B outreach agency offer because people come to me as an authority in the space and that can lead to deal flow and whatever. I guess the only one that isn't in the ecosystem is the Facebook agency because it's off Twitter, if that makes sense. But I have doubled down on the agency. Like the Facebook agency is at a good level that I'm very happy with. And now I'm going to double down on the, the B2B outreach agency. Cool. Well, I think it makes sense, you know, to create an ecosystem for yourself. That's, that's a smart move, I think. And so let's say somebody else wants to hop in on like getting facebook clients how would you advise them to get started hmm. so like starting from scratch like from zero knowing nothing yeah like almost nothing they probably did a couple of campaigns for their own website you know no clients yet no testimonials yet okay so 
First things first is you need to know what you're doing. So you actually need to know how to deliver the service because it's totally unethical if you sell clients and you don't know what you're doing. So what you want to do is you want to study for two, probably two months, I think is a, is a, if you start like really studying, I don't know if my definition of study is the same as everybody else's, but I'm like, dedicate yourself to this shit for two months and learn everything you can. So I would buy courses. I would, you know, probably if you have the money for it, hire some kind of coach to teach you the skill or join a community like uh, the Utopia that Wizard has. They have tons of content in there. You can learn pretty much any digital skill, study it for two months, actually get a really good understanding of how you're going to do the deliver the service. And then you're going to want to start reaching out to a certain niche of business. So it might be e-commerce, it might be a gardener, it might be whoever. And you use the same outreaching methods that everyone talks about, which is LinkedIn and cold email. And you can throw in some cold calls there if you're, if you have the, the guts for it and get people on calls. And again, like this is the thing about starting an agency is like there's multiple skills involved. So you got to learn how to deliver the service. You got to learn how to get people on the phone. And then you actually need to learn what to do when you get them on the phone. So it's a bit of a learning curve, but you want to get them on the phone and you basically want to tell them, look, I'm trying to build up my portfolio. Like I want to build up a lot more case studies. I can do this for you. It's not a problem. Super easy. So here's the deal. We'll do it for free. I'll do it for free. Or I'm running an offer right now where to build up our case studies, I'm going to do this work for free. You pay for the ad spend, of course, if you're going to do Facebook agency. I'm going to do this for free for one month, two months, whatever. And then when I get you results, you give me a video testimonial of like your experience, how things went, the results, whatever. And then I can use that as a case study. And then at that point, you know, we can, if you're happy with the results, then we, we can renegotiate. And so what you're doing is you're removing the barrier to entry or the barrier to working with you by taking away the price in the beginning, making it effectively risk-free for this client. And so they've, it makes it very easy for them to say yes. And so you deliver the results for them because you've been studying for two months, you know what to do, you get them results. And then they give you a testimonial. That's a case study you can leverage. I would probably do this for like two, yeah, two or three max people, two or three max, because you don't want to be spending too much time not getting paid. Two or three max people have those case studies sitting on like a landing page. And before, and then once you have those case studies, then before every sales call, you send the person a link to that landing page. They look at the case studies beforehand they are already semi-convinced and they already know that you can do the work because you have the proof. And now you can finally start pitching people like a priced job. So you can start charging them whatever, whatever like the, the rate is for your type of service. Like maybe it's, you know, I don't know, 2K a month for whatever. I don't know, but that's how I would go about it. You need to, so I'll break it down again. So one, you need to learn a skill, one skill. You need to outreach one specific kind of niche which the two outreach methods you want to use are cold emails and LinkedIn, cold calls optional. And then three, you got to learn how to sell on the phone. For a high level overview for how to sell on the phone, I would listen to the audiobook that's called You Can't Teach a Kid to Ride a Bike at a Seminar. That's how I would go there. Very interesting, Shaw. Thank you. Uh, final question. What do people need to do or what kind of content do you retweet? Content do I retweet? thread like fire threads like like either fire threads or like you know takes that i hadn't really considered before <laughs> so someone puts out like a a thread that could be a course on its own i'm always gonna 
just the fact that someone put in the effort to make a thread like that to just give away free knowledge, then I'm always going to respect that enough to give it a retweet. And then like somebody's opinion, that's like one that's not a common opinion that makes me think like, huh, that is true. I never thought of it in that way. I'll usually hit that with a retweet. Thank you, man. This was very interesting. Where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me on my uh, Twitter, which is Shawpreneur. So at Shawpreneur, S-H-A-W-P-R-E-N-E-U-R on Twitter. Thank you, Shaw. Thanks. Thank you, brother. Appreciate the time. Thank you. That's a wrap on this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next show. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave an iTunes review and give us a shout out on Twitter, sharing your favorite part of this episode. See you again next week. Thank you.